Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. All right, today we're talking about destroy the limitations. And I want you to realize that uh, if you haven't clicked already, we're living in a time of severe limitations. We're living in a time where um, limitations are coming back that were there for ages gone past, people in past generations in the Western world. Um, For a long time, for hundreds of years in the Western world, it's been all about freedom, things like freedom of speech, freedom of movement, and all sorts of things like that. Even if you look at experiments like the European Union and things like that, all of that was about freedom of movement even between countries. And so as you sit in there and you think about this today, I want you to realize one thing. And the thing that I want you to realize is this, that um, the limitations have come back. The limitations have come back. And, you know, in 1994, South Africa came out of a system called apartheid, which was a a vile and evil system. And um, if you listen to some of the things that are being propagated now in terms of vaccine passports, well, we're going to go back to a form of apartheid, but not just in South Africa, around the world, where they're even talking now about having sporting events in Europe, and on the one side of the stadium will be those who are vaccinated, and on the other side of the stadium will be those who aren't vaccinated. It's weird because I always had this question, you know, normally if you're vaccinated, it means you're immune to the disease. It means if you come into contact with a person that has the disease, you're you're not at risk. It's people who are not vaccinated that are at risk. And yet now they're talking as if an unvaccinated person will be a threat to a vaccinated person. So imagine that now, all right? So before, the black people would be in the one section and the white people would be in the other section. The black people would have the one set of toilets and the white people would have the other set of toilets. And now they're going to have signs saying vaccinated only, non-vaccinated only. And I'm asking you, what's the difference? And this is being promoted. Whether it will work or not, another story. I hope it doesn't. But that's where we're headed. And so now, in a reality of a world with increasing limitations, what does that mean for the gospel? And God wants us to destroy the limitations. Now, something that we've often heard over many years is the words, I like the church, but I don't like the vision. You know, we've got a culture within our church about this thing called the vision. In the old days, you know, 10, 15 years ago in our church, it used to be the office. Because if you're doing something wrong, you'd end up in my office, and then a whole lot of people would end up in the office, because this one tells this story, that one tells that story. And then the way I work, you start calling all the people in, because unless everyone's in, you don't find out what's going on. And now the office has changed with the vision. And um, so in this past week now, after the Easter weekend and after the awakening, which was all about the vision, I asked some of our leaders in our church in a staff meeting, to define the vision. And I struggled to get the vision. Now, I want you to think about vision. Vision is to do with your eyes. It's something that you see. If you can't give me a picture of something that you can see, then you're not talking about vision. And for many people, they see the vision, and all they see is work. 
And so when, we, when I say the word vision, some of you are freaking out already. Right now, you're freaking out. This stupid freaking church with this idiot of a pastor. These are the thoughts that are going through your mind. And I want to ask you, so what do you see? Now that oak's a pest, you know. He comes out, we must do this life class. All right? But I want to tell you that you can define the vision with one word. And that word is Jesus. Because everything in the vision revolves around Jesus. I want to tell you what I see. What is the thing that I see when I hear the, the uh, people talk about the vision? I see Jesus. I see Jesus with me following him as I'm becoming like him and I'm doing what he did. And doing what he did does not just include running a cell. Okay, because one of the things that I really pray for and work for is that in the cell group that I run, that the power of God is going to fall into that cell group on those people. But I also see myself praying for people. I'm believing that one day I'll pray for someone who's dead and they'll be raised from the dead. But that's what I see. And um, I see that, that song that we sang at the beginning of the service where we're talking about Jesus, reproduce yourself in me. And I want that when people see me, they actually see you. That's what I see. You see, when I come into contact with any person, be they an atheist, a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or whatever they believe, I want them to see Jesus. So, what I then told the leaders was, so saying I don't like the vision translates into, I don't like Jesus. And I want to tell you why it's the same thing, because it's his vision. It's not the G12 vision or something like that. G12 is just a structure that helps us fulfill the vision. It's all about Jesus. And let me tell you about this Jesus that I serve. This Jesus that I serve is a Jesus that is all about destroying limitations. He's about destroying them in such a way that it's if, as if they never, ever existed. And so in Luke chapter 14, verse 21, listen to what this Jesus says. He says, go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it has been done as you have commanded, and still there is room. You know what this master, he's decked out this place for a wonderful banquet. And he's invited everyone. And they've gone out and diligently taken all of the invites out. And now that the invites have gone out, there is still room. And I want to tell you in the house of God, many invites have gone out over many years. And still there is room. There are unoccupied chairs within the kingdom of God. And every chair that is unoccupied represents a person that is on their way to everlasting destruction. I want to say that to you again. Every single unoccupied chair in the kingdom of God, every single unoccupied chair in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to someone that is on their way to everlasting destruction. And it says, Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, this, this is Jesus who was telling this parable. And he's telling this, this parable to give us an everlasting truth. I want my house filled. 
I want my kingdom filled. In fact, there are many who have a belief that the end will not come until God has enough souls. And then it says this, For I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. And Jesus is saying, okay, so I've invited them and they've rejected it. And he's saying, well, I give you my word. None of them will taste my supper. And and that's a warning now, you know. If we reject Jesus, if we reject his vision, if we reject his character, because the vision is all about having the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus says, well, then you will not taste my supper, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when Jesus is telling the story, there is a very pertinent message that is there for us. And what he's saying to us is that we need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to get out of our small little worlds. We need to get out of our limited world. And our worlds have become very, very small since this whole COVID-19 thing with all the lockdowns and things have come along. And we need to get out of our narcissistic thinking, which puts us in a place where we're only thinking about ourselves. And he's saying, I want you to start thinking about others. I don't want you to only think about your family and whether your family is okay. I want you to start thinking about others. I want you to go beyond the hedges. I want you to go there to sometimes to people that you do not like. I want you to get out of your world onto the highways and the byways of the world. And then speak them in such a way that you compel them to come. Which means you fetch them. Which means that you love them enough to get them into the kingdom. And you fetch them because you make sure that they come. And why do you make sure that they come? Because you know that they need the love of God. You know in your heart of hearts that they need the love of God. That without the love of God, they are eternally condemned. But you won't do this if you don't have a conviction to do it. When you're convicted, you know, it's like when you're convicted to go to prison, you have no choice but to sit in a prison cell. When you're convicted that you need to spread the love of God to people, you have no choice but to do it. You have to do it because it's like you're in a prison of the will of God. It's like you're in a prison of His blessing. And to do this, to tell people that are in your world, in your workplace, in your family, wherever, about Jesus, what it requires is that you have a passion. You have a passion for for the Lord. You have a passion for the world around you that is greater than your passion for yourself. When you have that kind of a passion, that develops conviction. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's the vision. You can see that. In your mind, you can see that. You can see Jesus going to all the cities and all the villages. And now you can use Google Meet or Zoom. You can Zoom to any flippant city anywhere in the world. Teaching where? In their synagogues. In their places of worship. Imagine going there around where the mosque is. You know what I'm saying? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's Jesus. 
That's the vision. So what Jesus did, he, what did he do? He, he went and he went about teaching and preaching and healing. Pastor Bird always says it this way. We are supposed to be Christians, you know. Christian has the, world, has the word Christ in it. We're supposed to be Christians, which means we're supposed to do the same thing he did. And what did he do? He, he was teaching. He was preaching. He was healing. That, that's what he did wherever he was. And so what does that mean for us? Wherever God has placed us, wherever we're working, wherever we live, wherever we are, even when we go to gym, we are an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people see us, they see Jesus. And in order to be Jesus, we have to be filled with His Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're not making our own plans, doing our own things, thinking our own ways, building our own visions, our own whatever. No, no, we're led by the Spirit. We're doing whatever the Spirit calls us to do. We build our lives on the, on, on the, on the, on the Word. And the Holy Spirit cries out to people through us, through our mouth, through our heart, through our convictions. And what is the desire of God is to reconcile people who could die tonight. They could, their life could end today. We want to reconcile those people to God. And so what is preaching? Preaching is the public proclamation of Christianity to a non-Christian world. And you don't need a stage. You don't need to stand here on the stage in order to be able to do this. Okay, 95% of my preaching doesn't happen here. Even more probably. You have family. You have relatives. You have neighbors. You have colleagues in the workplace. Every single one of those people is your stage. Every single one of them. And we have a tendency to lose sight of people. And we have a tendency to focus on a plan or an organization. I want to tell you, every time I hear the words, I don't like the vision. It's people who are focusing on a plan or an organization. We're not talking about people. We don't care about people. I want to tell you that God doesn't have some fancy method. Some fancy little thing, some fancy little process. God's method is people. The church keeps looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men and better women. And yes, what you need to realize, the effectiveness of the gospel is staked on the people who proclaim it. Do you look like Jesus? In 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And so, God is looking for people who are willing. And the Holy Spirit doesn't flow through, mes through methods. He flows through people. He works through people that are loyal to him. I want you to, to understand that loyalty is something that is very, very much in, so in short supply today. You know, it's when you're loyal to God that you show faith. When you read His Word and you do His Word, you're showing faith. You're saying, Lord, I, I trust you enough to take my plans and to put them aside and to devote my life to your plans. 
Believing in the word means you do the word. You do what you believe in. When you start living a life of faith, where, where you're carrying the right sports team shirt, then God begins to notice you. You get onto the radar of God, and when God begins to notice you, God begins to look after you. You see, in Hebrews eleven six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So don't come and say, oh, then he's a legalistic God. No, no, you don't move him without faith. All right, when I met my wife, she wouldn't have moved me without good looks. Her good looks to me were like our faith to God. I noticed her because of her looks. God notices you because you start looking good when you have faith. And your faith forces you to do certain things. If you're not doing the things that Jesus did, then there's a problem in your faith. And the man, the man or the woman makes the preacher. But God makes the man or the woman. The, message, the messenger is more important than the message, if that were possible. And I want you to understand, you are the message. Your life is the message. The preacher is more than the sermon. The preacher makes the sermon out of who they are. You are the sermon. When people look at your life, they're looking at a sermon. And if you don't love people, I want to promise you, you don't love God. And so now, in this time of limitation, we want to set a goal for supernatural revival in the next four weeks. And maybe some of you are going to ignore it, but I, I'm going to encourage you to set a goal. And um, the devil doesn't want revival. The devil wants us to be limited. Now, there's something else you need to realize. Sometimes the devil's going to come and he's going to sucker punch you. And he's going to knock the wind right out of you in life. And I want to tell you that the best thing that you can do when the devil sucker punches you, and often he, suck, he sucker punches you through people that hurt you. And the best thing that you can do when the devil hits you, maybe he hits you with sickness, maybe he hits you with a relationship breakdown, maybe he hits you with someone that you thought was loyal to becomes disloyal, or whatever. You hit him where it hurts him, and there's only one thing that hurts him. There's only one thing you can do that hurts the devil. And that is to lead someone to Jesus. And every one of us, there are people in our lives that no one else will be able to reach. We're the person God has mandated to reach him. And if we don't reach them, they got a problem. But to reach people, we have to set goals. And you know what? In life, you set goals for anything that's important. For example, I bet most of you have planned when you're eating lunch. And so this is the challenge I want to give you. And I want you, if you've got a notebook, I want you to, 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 to write on it right now. If you haven't, take out your phone and get into your notes. And I want you to write down three people that you're going to bring next week. Whether it's to a site, whether it's online, three people you're going to bring next week. This is a challenge we've done before. And you know, when, when people get behind a plan like this, God begins to move in their lives. And then what we're going to look at, we're going to be bringing three people for the next three weeks. In other words, for four weeks, we're going to bring three people. 
And I want to tell you that anyone who does this, and they follow through with this, and they trust God, and they work with the Holy Spirit in this, in the next four, four weeks, you could have 12 people. Now, as you write in the names down, I want you to write 12 names down in total. Three for next week, and then three, three, three. Romans 1 verse 16 says, the Apostle Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So I want you to continue writing those 12 names down. And, and, and I want you to think about the Apostle Paul as you're writing those names down. Why could he preach? Paul could preach because he had a frame of reference. He had something to preach from. He had something to show people. And the thing he had to show them was his life. And what did he say about his life? He could say, the just shall live by faith and I'm living by faith. And because I'm living by faith, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my faith in terms of what he did on the cross for me, because of that, God is working through me. God is shining his glory through me. Every single one of us needs to realize that God has a mandate. And the mandate says this, I am called to mold a generation for God. I'm called by God. To mold a generation for him. I'm not responsible for the, 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 the generations that have gone. I'm not responsible for the generations to come. I'm responsible for my generation. To mold this generation for God. But if I do it properly, I'm probably molding the next one and the next one. Probably for a thousand years. I'm going to change the course of history in South Africa. If I'm going to mold a generation right now. My life is going to live on uh, way past the end of my lifetime. And I'm going to be in heaven after I've died. And people are going to be coming to the Lord all the time because of a generation that I'm molded. And I'm going to be collecting rewards. Every time I go to the bank in heaven, I'm going to have more cash in the bank in heaven. The gold in front of my house in heaven is going to, is, you know, the, the, the streets are going to be paved with gold. And, 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 and my house, the street's going to get higher and higher of all the gold that's coming there. That's what this means. Now, Paul himself might have battled with this at one time. I don't think it was that easy for him at first, especially since he started out persecuting the church. But he takes a leap of faith and he starts preaching. And let me tell you something. When your life is full of faith, when you start preaching, something happens. Make sure you've got 12 names. Ask your neighbor, have you got 12 names? If, you, if you're watching this alone, and I saw Barbara on Facebook, so Barbara, you can just ask the wall next to you. You understand what I'm saying? But just ask the person next to you, have you got 12 names? Come on, all of you ask it. Some of you are saying, I haven't got, so you're too scared. So just tell them. Have you, just say it by faith. You haven't got 12 names. Just say it by faith. Say, have you got 12 names? And then say, please don't ask me. You know what I mean? No, no, never mind. But what we're doing through this, and, and this is something I believe God wants to do. No matter what happens with limitations and passports, you know, no matter what happens, and you might want to go listen to the um, political show that we did on Friday. Is apartheid coming back? Hey, this, come here, Calvin. This Man City fan, it's terrible that he supports Man City. He, he needs to get saved, this boy. He's known as the Black Knight. 
it says the black knight like that all right but is it coming back the dompas you know the thing that happened in apartheid except instead of black people it would be the unvaccinated people well even if that comes back revival is possible and so we're asking the question is revival possible is it possible for god to save everybody in Johannesburg, everybody in Henneon Clip. Is it possible that this will overflow into areas around us? That this will overflow digitally all over the world? Is it possible? And I want to tell you with God, all things are possible. I want to tell you with God, there's nothing that's impossible. And so the question is, not is it possible, it's possible. The question is, is are we willing? Are we willing to be used by God? Because you say, how do you know it's possible? In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But it is, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. So God is willing. People who have a theology that say that God chooses who's saved are going to have a huge problem with this and a thousand other verses. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does all mean? When I went and checked the dictionary, it meant all. It meant everyone. And so God's willing. But 1 Peter 2 verse 3 and 5 says, for this, good, for, 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 for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. What does all mean? All who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. What does all mean? means all. To be testified in due time. You know, it's scriptural to pray for people to get saved. When you're praying for people to get saved, you're praying scripture. And... We know that God wants him to be saved. And so, what does the Bible say about praying God's will? John 5, verse 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence. Sorry, it's 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever, listen to this, whatever we ask, we we, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Whatever we ask. If we're praying in accordance with God's will, whatever we ask will happen. And, you know, in, in, when, when we were newly married, there was a church that we were in, and there was a couple that led the prayer ministry. There'd be all sorts of people getting healed and all sorts of stuff like that. It was an incredible prayer ministry. I remember when I used to hear this guy pray. My goodness gracious me. It was like a poem. It was like something, it was like heaven was speaking. He had such a gift in terms of praying. But you know, he was an alcoholic. And she prayed for him for something like 24, 25 years. She prayed for him. She was in the church that my father was running. She prayed with him for 24, 25 years. Every day she prayed for him that he would be saved. 
You know what happened one day? He was actually walking from his house to the pub. And the pub that was there at the Robertson Hotel. He was walking to that pub. And my father drove past. He says to him, hey, where are you going? So I didn't want to say he's going to the pub. So I said, no, I'm just walking home. He says, no, I can give you a lift. Get in, I'll give you a lift. So he couldn't say no. So he got in the car. And my father took him back home. That set off a set of circumstances. That man gave his life to Jesus. And the time when I met him, and well, I mean, obviously, this happened when I was still in school, but when I got to know him, he, he was already a radical, saved, on fire believer. But his wife had prayed for him for 24, 25 years. Are you willing to pray for people or do you just give up on them? It's not good to give up on anyone. Now, why is it important to pray for people? Because of their condition as sinners. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says this. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. If God will grant them repentance. God grants people repentance. That's why we need to pray for them. So that they might know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I want you to understand, every single person in the whole wide world that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior has been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Their wills are bound by Satan to do his works. And what does that word works mean? The, the Greek word means energizes. In other words, the devil is energizing them to do his work. So when you're energized to do the stuff that's not of God, but you're not energized to do God's work, then you have to sit down and ask yourself, well, who's in control? Who's energizing me? Because I'm telling you now that if you've laid your life down and if you're willing to do the work of God, the will of God, if you're willing to put that first, the Holy Spirit will energize you. You'll become like an energizer buddy. Hey, Calvin. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, get saved. Get, Jesus. You, know, you're like, you know, like the energizer bunny. I don't know. Maybe some of you don't know. You're too young. But there used to be these things with these little bunnies and all the Duracell bunny. There was, a, there was an energizer and a Duracell. They were competing. Duracell said, theirs went further. Energizer said, theirs went further. Who's energizing you? And what are we doing when we're praying for these people? And, and maybe you've got family members that aren't saved and you think they'll never give their lives to Jesus. What are you praying for? You're praying to defeat the deception that the devil has them under. Jesus' method to break the devil's hold in Luke 11, 21 and 22 says, When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him, and overcomes him. He takes from him all his army in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So in other words, they're controlled by a strong man. What, do we, what does Jesus say? You pray that a stronger man will come and take all the armor from him in which he trusts. So that strong man that's controlling that person, the devil, Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit comes, who is stronger, defeats him. And he loses all his armor that he trusted him. 
You know, these people are described by Jesus as being the property of the devil. And he guards over them. And before freeing the captives, Jesus dealt with the captor. He dealt with Satan. He disarmed him. I want you to realize that in praying for the lost, you're praying that their will will be freed from bondage to the enemy. They are held captive in sin. You're praying that that captivity will be destroyed. They don't have the faith to conquer the things that are limiting them. And this is why we're talking about the destruction of the limitations. They are limited and they don't have the faith to conquer it. They don't have the power to conquer it. I want you to think about a lady. A lady, maybe, maybe her job is the, is the sex trade. So now she comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? She can't earn a living that way anymore. She can't carry on doing what she did. But now she has a problem because she does not in her heart believe that God will provide for her. That's the challenge she now faces. And so she wants to serve God, but she can't carry on serving God if she carries on with her job. And that's just an example. There are many people that want to give their lives to Jesus, but they're captive to sin. And it could be through their income. It could be through a relationship that they're in. Some people think that in order to give their lives, they have to give up money. People have worked out how to survive in sin. And the biggest hindrance to them giving their lives to Jesus is money. And many people are not going to see God because of money. They're captive. And then there are people who have just given up. Through crime, through drugs, through illicit relationships. You know, some people are drug addicts and they've just given up. They gave up because they're captive to the devil. The devil convinced them to give up. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, listen to me, the gospel is veiled to these people. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Their minds are blinded. Sometimes you've heard me talk about that God has to peel away the stuff that's in front of them, the stuff that is blocking them from God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When a person's mind is veiled like this, someone needs to pray for them. Someone needs to pray earnestly for them for the veil to be lifted. Because their eyes are blinded. They cannot see what someone is talking about when they speak about the gospel. We need to free the wall of sinners so that through prayer, we can enforce Satan's defeat in their lives. We can't, can we win the loss through, through prayer? I want you to understand that today. If a person says, right, I'm going to do everything that I need to do in order to, to form the character of Christ in 12 people. And that they will start doing what Jesus did. 
that they will start praying and people will see miracles happening. You know, in terms of that, what I want you to realize, the world cannot defeat a church like that. Even if you were in a place where people are being persecuted and the church is being locked down much more severely than it has here. You know, places like China. The enemy cannot defeat the church where those that are in the church are becoming like Jesus. Where those that are in the church trust in what Jesus won for them through his blood on the cross. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The enemy cannot defeat a church like that. Now, I want to just speak to you and say, you know, even in terms of yourself as you're listening to the service, where do you stand with Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, I've been hearing this and I, and I understand about the limitations and all of those sorts of things. But you know, you've got to be set free first before you can free someone else. In, in an airplane, when you get onto an airplane, before the, the plane takes off, you'll have the air hostesses and the hosts and all of them, and they'll stand there and there's like a little show they put on. And they go through all the safety procedures. They, they say, if we crash, then there's the exits. I often wonder, you know, if you crash in a plane, what do the exits matter? You're probably going to, you know, fly somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? But um, then what they also tell you, if the, if the cabin depressurizes, then these masks with oxygen are going to drop out the ceiling. And then they tell you this. Before you try and put the mask on someone else, even including your own children, please first put the mask on yourself. Because you can't help someone else until you yourself can breathe. And I want to tell you that spiritually it's the same for you. And I want to ask you today, where do you stand with Jesus? And you say, well, how do I get right with him? Well, Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what does it say? That you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. What? You confess Jesus as Lord and you confess that God raised him from the dead. Because if God raised him from the dead, then every promise that comes to you through the cross is real. And it means that Jesus is alive today. And that you can come before the Father today in the name of a living Savior. Everything else in the Bible becomes true for you. Just because of that fact. And so I want you to think about that today now. And maybe you've been sitting here and you've realized as you're hearing about people who's, who's, who've got this veil over their eyes. And maybe for the first time you've really heard the gospel today. Maybe for the first time it's really made sense to you today. Well, what God has done supernaturally through the Holy Spirit is temporarily removed the veil to give you the opportunity that you actually hear the gospel in a way that you can receive it. And so what I want to say to you right now is that um, if that is you, you can't wait another day because if you don't give your life today when God has revealed this to you, then, then what's going to happen is that you may never have another chance again. You may never have another opportunity again. And so you need to come to his altar right now. And I'm going to ask everyone, just close your eyes. 
And I want you to think about your eternal destiny that's at stake right now. And I want to encourage you not to wait until later. None of us know how long we've got left. And we're saying to God, Lord, I come to you. I want to give my life to you because I want to know that eternity is close to me from this day forward. That when it comes time for death to come knocking on my door, that I'll be ready because I'm now with you. I'm going to ask everyone, wherever you are, to place your right hand on your heart. And I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see him where he's dying on the cross for you. His blood is being shed for you. And he died for you over 2,000 years ago. The blood that was shed was the price that he paid and for wash all of our sins away. He's welcoming you in right now. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything that I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price that you paid for my redemption. And Lord, today I ask that the blood of your wounded body would wash me of all my rebellion and all my sin. That you'd set me free from any wickedness, from any sickness, and any pain. And I accept that my debt has been paid. And that there's no outstanding balance. Because you paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And you see me as I had never sinned. And that by your blood I'm sanctified. And you have chosen me to serve you. And I'm willing to serve you, Lord. Today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 